Father, thanks. Thanks for this time. Thanks for our friends. Uh, thanks for our family here. Uh, thanks for the work that you've been doing. Thanks for the work that you've done over the years and the work that you've got planned here in the future. Uh, thanks for leading us to uh, a student life pastor. Uh, thanks for um, what you're going to do in them, through them, and how our students are going to grow uh, as a result of the ministry that they're going to be doing here. Uh, we're just so thankful uh, to you, God, for the work that you're doing. Um, Lord, we're here this morning uh, not, not out of a show, not because this is what we're expected to do or this is what we're, what we're supposed to do. And if there's any of that, God, I pray that you would just move it out of the way. Um, but we're here, Lord, because we want to worship. Um, we've worshiped you through song, and now we want to worship you through um, th this aspect of, of, of teaching and hearing uh, of your word. And um, Father, for what you have for each one of us, would you let your spirit do the work and uh, allow ourselves uh, to be uh, moved by you uh, to how you want us to apply your truth, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, anybody else kind of noticing that people are just kind of getting mean? Kind of kind of grumpy and disgruntled uh, all, all over the place? Is that just me? Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, I, I was at Walmart um, this past week. Uh, we ran out of ink in, in, in our printer, uh, which we tend to stink and do all the time. And uh, I was heading to Walmart. I had to get some ink. And uh, I, I walked in, and there was a guy that I could see at the end of the counter back in the electronics section where the ink is. And I, I start to walk back there, and I don't know if like, this guy had a bead on me from the time that I started moving in there. But I think as soon as he saw me, he's like, this guy ran out of ink. This looks like a guy who would be running out of ink all the time. And, and so I, I start heading back. And I, I think he kind of judged me like for running out. And, and so I, I, get, I get back there, and... Uh, I, I asked him, uh, I was like, hey, man, can you point me to the ink? And so he pointed me over to the ink, knowing good and well that that thing was locked down like Alcatraz, okay? Like, I, I get over there, and I'm like, well, here's the ink, but it's got like 15 locks on the thing. And it's like, they're doing a real good job at Walmart, okay, of keeping this thing locked down. And so I, I walk back over to the counter, and, and I said, hey, man, uh, could you, like, come, like, do the deal and, like, let me in that thing? And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, you want me to come over there and work? And, like, I'm not just, like, paraphrasing. Like, that's what he said. And, and I was like, are, are you, that's how we're going to roll right now? And, and I was mad, but, you know, because I'm a good dude, and I, I, I tried to give him the, the benefit of, of the grace, and uh, I, I was like, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I tried to be super nice. I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bother you, um, but I'm the guy. I, I ran out of ink. And so, uh, you know, back at home, there were people who wanted to print things and really trying to do good dad-husband thing, and I'm really sorry to bother you. Could you come and unlock it? And so he's like, ah. I'm like, this dude was mad. I, I was like, I, I didn't mean to bother you. I really didn't. Uh, or to ask you to do your job. I just didn't mean to do that. Um, but here we are. And uh, so he gets over there, he unlocks it, and this dude was, I mean, you could just tell, like when you've peeved somebody, like he, he was peeved. But people are wound tight right now. People are getting grumpy and angry, and you can feel it all, all around us. And we know, like, man, like, like, tomorrow is November. This is the season where nice starts, right? This is a season, like, the next couple of months, we know, like, we're supposed to start being nice to people. It's so, like, we're not supposed to be grumpy. We're not supposed to be mean. We're supposed to be full of all kinds of thanksgiving. This is nice season. 
But I don't know if our attitudes are, are, are ready for, for that kind of deal. It, it, and it's not everybody else, guys. Like, I think we can get to the mentality of like, oh, everybody else is being crazy. Everybody else is being rude and mean. And, and like, forget, like, maybe we're like a little bit a part of that every once in a while. It's not just everybody else's that's just being crazy. I, I was reading uh, this week, and I, and I came across a, a journalist who said, we are in an epidemic of discourtesy. I thought, boy, that's strong. We're in an epidemic of discourtesy. In other words, we're getting really good at being nasty with one another. We're getting really, really good at being rude and mean to one another. And what she did is she linked our discourtesy and our unkindness to the reality that we're living in um, a, a bit of a, a society and a culture that's full of all kinds of different expectations that we tend to put on other people. Whether they know about those expectations or not, we have expectations of them. And then when we have those expectations of people, what we've done is we've unattached our ability to be grateful or, or to be real practical, we've unattached our ability to say thank you. In other words, we have expectations of people, we expect that they're going to do something, and we're not saying thank you for it. Like we just expect, because of who I am, or because of the position that I hold, or because of, I've known you this long, or because of what I do, you're supposed to do this uh, for me. And so she said, we're in this epidemic of this courtesy. And so saying thank you can actually keep us from being a grump and buying into this epidemic of discourtesy. And so with this epidemic, or if when you have an epidemic, you need a cure, right? And so when you're sick, you need a doctor, you need a cure. And I, when we look at the book of Luke this morning, what we're going to see is what I believe to be the cure to discourtesy. And the cure I believe that we're going to find in the book of Luke is, is gratitude. Slowing down long enough and caring about people enough around us to actually say thank you. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse 11. <clears throat> Somebody gets there, say, hey, I'm there. Okay, there we go. Hey, you're fast. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was not one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so right now you have Jesus. He's, he's traveling on his way to Jerusalem. Now the whole trajectory of Jesus' life while he was on earth, his face was always set towards Jerusalem. And because he knew that in Jerusalem, that's where he was going to give up his life and he was going to die for your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. So wherever Jesus was and whatever Jesus was doing, his face was always set towards, I'm stopping here for a second, but I am on my way to Jerusalem and I'm going to give up my life and it's going to be a remarkable death, but it's going to be for the sin of the world. And right now, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, He's in a place between Galilee and Samaria, which for you and me, that's not that big of a deal, right? Like we read that and like, okay, Galilee, Samaria, don't, don't know where they are, but I, I got it. That's where, that's where he's at. But anytime Samaria comes up, the Jewish readers, 
they would have this disgust in their mouth. They, they, they would have heard Samaria and been like, why are you even mentioning Samaria? Why, why would you talk about that place? Why would you talk about those people like that? Now, I've got a, a neighbor. He feels that way about anytime but somebody says Iowa. I'm, I'm serious. When, when, whenever somebody says Iowa, he spits. When he crosses the state line from Nebraska into Iowa, he spits out the window. Like he has this nasty disgust for anything Iowa or Iowans. Like there's this, this is how the Jewish people felt about Samaria and the people of Samaria. There was this deep set hatred towards those people. And it goes all the way back to the, the Old Testament. And what's interesting here is that Jesus, he goes into a village and he goes outside of, of the edge of the town. He's kind of on the outskirts, out on the fringes, and he runs into these 10 lepers who are kind of hanging out there. And, the, 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 and here's what happens. You would think that when somebody sees Jesus coming because his name is, has been known, people have heard about what he's capable of doing, that, that they would run to Jesus. But these 10 lepers, they don't run to Jesus. They, they actually, they keep a distance o- away from him. Now, I want you to write something down to help us kind of get handles over uh, around what this story is going to be about, okay? Go ahead and write this down. Chaos can keep us from Jesus. Chaos can keep a distance between Jesus and, and, and us. So why don't these men, when they see Jesus coming, why don't they run to him like you see other people in Scripture do? Because every time, somebody shows, every time Jesus shows up into a town or into a village throughout the, the, the New Testament, what you see is people just flock to him, man. Like crowds of people who are sick, crowds of people who are just curious, crowds of people who want to know if Jesus is who he says he is. They just run and they want to get close to him. People are touching him. People are just kind of crowding in on him to sometimes where he can't even move. But that's not what these guys do. Why don't they do that? These guys don't feel like they can get close to Jesus because of their circumstances. They don't feel like they can get close to him and they got to keep a distance because the chaos that's going on in their life and the disease that's going on in their life, they have to keep a distance away from Jesus. Everything in their lives at this moment is chaos and hardship and pain. And every time they look around them and they see people who aren't like them, they are reminded of, of the pain. And so Jesus, he meets them on the outskirts of the town. And again, this doesn't really register that, that, that strong for us as we tip when we first read it. But we've got to ask ourselves, why are these 10 men gathered together on the outside of the town? Why aren't they in town kind of hanging out with everybody else? Well, there's a law that we read about in Leviticus 13 that if somebody had leprosy, which could be all kinds of different skin diseases from some, something minor to something uh, intensely severe, they had to be isolated away from the community. They had to move outside of the village. And, and, and the only way that you could come back into the village was that you would go to a priest and he would see that you are either fully healed or that your con- skin condition is getting better. If you weren't getting better or if it wasn't healed, you weren't allowed to come back into the city. You had to stay out on the fringes. And leprosy, at its worst, man, it is a horrible disease. You, you can't see your family you can't be around your community. You, you couldn't go to church with your friends. You couldn't go to church with your neighbors or your peers or the people you, you, that, you're, that you're learning with. You were completely isolated. And on top of that, like this is pretty nasty. The, the nerve endings in your skin, the nerve endings in your body kind of die off 
And so you can't feel anything. You can't feel if you get cut. You can't feel if you bonked into something. And, and so in the middle of all that, you, like disease and gangrene begins to set in and your skin begins to rot. Doesn't that just sound nasty? And then things just start falling off. It's a bad way to go. It is a slow way of dying here. And in a very real way, you look like you were the walking dead. You look like you were the living dead. You know, here in a few hours, there's going to be a lot of kids who are running around Ashland. They're going to be dressed up in all kinds of different things. And a lot of them are going to be dressed up in some pretty creepy things. And it's going to look like they're the walking dead. This was reality for, for these men. They were the walking dead. And because of this disease, because it's so contagious, you're kicked out of the community. And the kicker here is that when you have this and when you're isolated, you had to cry out in a loud voice to, if anybody got close to you or saw you, you had to begin to yell, unclean, unclean, don't get close to me. I am unclean. How about that? How about that? How isolating is that? And so these men, this is their scenario. Ten men grouped together, slowly dying on the outside of the village, holding up a sign with their bodies for everybody to see. I'm unclean. My life is full of chaos and pain. These men don't run to Jesus because they don't believe they can get close to him. They don't believe they're allowed to get close to him. They're just too much chaos and disease going on in their life. And up to this point, they wouldn't have, have had any hope of their situation getting any better. No hope of anything changing. And if we're being real honest, from our, from our eyes, the way that we look at things, they had every right to be angry, bitter, and I would say even mean, or maybe even falling into an epidemic of discourtesy. They had every right to be nasty. And isn't that what tends to happen? Man, our, our, our chaotic circumstances can turn us into being some pretty angry people. It can make us turn into some, some pretty mean and, and nasty people. And we don't intend for it to be like that, Right? We're just sitting there holding up our signs, and after a while, we realize we've been holding up this thing for so long, and we've been yelling unclean for so long that when we look around, it's not, we don't see any good anymore. All we can see is our condition. All that we can feel is our pain. All we can look at is this little microcosm of, of our circle, and we can't see anything out of that. We can't see any good. We can't see that God could possibly be doing anything good. We can't see that God could be doing anything in our culture, in our society, in our life, in our marriage, in our home. We, all we see is pain and, and suffering because we've been going through it for so long. And before you know it, we're yelling at people who are coming back to the counter to grab ink. Doesn't make any sense. This is where we end up, and we don't mean to. But one of the things that these 10 men have going for them is that Jesus sees them. They may not be running to him, but he sees them. And so he goes outside of the camp and he sees where they are. And when they see Jesus, watch the transition that happens. Remember, Leviticus tells us these men have to be out there, and if anybody gets close, they have to say, unclean. But watch what happens. They stop yelling unclean, and they start yelling something different. They start yelling, Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on, on us. And I don't want to rush past this. I, I want us to ask the question, what, what are these guys doing? What are, what are they doing right here? They're out here. They don't have any hope. They're seemingly incurable. Yet against all the hope and all the chaos that's going on in their life right now, do you know what they're doing here? 
they stop believing that their chaos gets the last word. They, they stop believing that their circumstance gets to have the final answer. They stop believing that the way things are right now is the way things are always going to be. Isn't that how we sometimes think? Like we're in the middle of something and, and, and it's painful and it's chaotic and we think, man, nothing is ever going to change this situation. I'm in this for the rest of my life. My marriage is terrible, and this is never going to change. My family life is terrible, and this is never going to change. I'm losing my job, and there's anxiety in my workplace. This is never going to change. And we look around what's going around us, and it feels like I've been holding this thing for so long. It's never going to get any better. And we get into this mindset. Nothing could ever change. So I want to pause for a second here, and, and, and I want to ask you, what, what's the thing that you've been holding on to? What's the sign that you've been holding up? What's the chaos that you've been walking through? What's the junk that you feel like is, is never going to change? What's your chaos? It's not leprosy. I mean, you're here, right? It's, it's not leprosy. But in this epidemic of discourtesy and, and people just being rude and mean with one another, what's feeding your chaos? What, what's building into that? I, I know, like in my house, guys, like we have, there's just been kind of like a spirit of frustration um, going on. And uh, I think what's feeding that in our house is just busyness. Um, th this chaos that we feel is just busyness. Like, we're, we're, we don't know what to do. Like, our kids are kind of at an age right now where they're just, like, we feel like we're running this direction to get uh, her over here. We're running this direction to get him over there. And they're, and they're, they're doing their things. And Ashley's working. And, and I'm working. And we've got things before work. We've got things after work. And we're just running all the time. And there are certain rhythms and, and, and um, uh, uh, kind of things that we do in our house. Like, we all have them, right? The rhythms that kind of keep things at normal that we've got certain rhythms in our house that, that kind of keep balance for us, and those things have all been upended by busyness. And, and, and we were looking around like, I don't see Ashley, she doesn't see me, and then like the kids like feel like they're crazy right now, and we feel like we're going crazy at the same time. One of the rhythms that we have is like we love to sit around the table, at, like to eat at the table together, like dinner, like this is where we're gathering together and, and talk and laugh, share about how the day has gone, and then open up the scriptures, and just be able to talk about something and allow the Lord to lead us in it. And so all this busyness has actually kept us away from those things that fuel us to be reminded, to be grateful. And, and so that is the thing that right now is feeding our chaos. What's feeding your chaos? What's feeding that thing and you're holding up the sign and saying, man, I don't know if it's ever going to get any better than this. What I want to ask us to do for the moment is to take our eyes off of that leprosy to take our eyes off of that particular chaos for a second, to stop crying out unclean and to switch it over and to believe against your circumstance that Jesus can show up there. To believe against the thing that you're walking through that, that Jesus can actually show up and to yell out as these men did, Jesus, have mercy on me. Show up in this place. I want you to write down something else here. Write down that chaos doesn't have to get the final answer doesn't have to have the, the final word and, and make us a grump, because when you take your eyes off of the chaos, you're able to see Jesus. When you take your eyes off of the thing that you're going through, you're able to actually see Jesus. Watch what happens here. These men have, some, uh, they have something going for them. Jesus is there. He sees them, and he responds in 14. He says, 
when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed or they were, they were healed. I want you to notice uh, something here. Jesus doesn't go touch these men. He doesn't show up to them on the spot. He doesn't put his hands on them. He could have. He'd already healed people like this in the past. He'd already touched lepers like this in the past and healed them, but he doesn't go and touch them. He actually allows that distance to stay between them, and he says, go to the priest. Go to the priest. That's what, that's what you're supposed to do. And we have no idea how long these guys have been out there outside of the camp. We have, no long, we have no idea how long they've been in the condition that they're in, but we know that according to the law, the only way that their situation is going to get any better, the only way they're going to be allowed to be back around their families, back around the community, is if something drastically changes here. And so Jesus, knowing that, he says, go show yourself to the priest. You've got to imagine these guys how to be like, go show yourself. What do you, that's not what we're looking for here. Like, we're asking for you to get over here, put your hands on us, and do that healing thing that we've heard about all around us. Do what we want from, from you in, in this moment. Jesus, I'm not sure if you understand how this thing works. Like, we, we can't go to the priest because we have this condition going on. We can't go to the priest because of this chaos. As of right now, Jesus, nothing's different. I'm still, look at me. The rest of these guys, look at them. This is the condition that they're in, too. You know what's going on. No one wants to be around us. If we can't just go walking into the city and, and assume that everything's going to be okay. But Jesus says, yeah, 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 I, I, I know. Just go to the priest. And as they went, believing against their chaos, they're cleansed, they're healed, Scripture tells us here. So go ahead and write this down uh, as well. If anything is going to change in our lives, they have to believe against their chaos that Jesus can make a difference. If anything is going to change in our life, we have to believe against the chaos that, that, that Jesus can actually make a difference. And Scripture tells us that all ten men left the camp and they had to go out to the priest, meaning that all ten men believed that Jesus could heal them. All ten men believed that Jesus had the power and the authority to, to do what he is assumingly doing in their life right now. And guess what happens? All of them are healed uh, along the way to go see the priest. Now, I think this is a demonstration of faith that these ten men have, right? They're trusting in what we cannot see, and that's a definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us or describes faith as a substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence or the confidence of things unseen or the conviction of things unseen. Now, here's the thing. If we want everything in our lives to be perfectly clear before we drop down our sign and, and try to walk away from our chaos and make the move to where Jesus is calling us to, it's not really faith if we want it to be laid out everything. Like, do you remember Naaman? Naaman uh, was going through this kind of whole leprosy thing in the Old Testament. And, and, and God said, this is how you're going to be healed. He says, go to the Jordan, dunk yourself under there. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of privilege. I'm a man of status. You're going to do it the way that I want to be healed. And, and like, no, the way you're going to be healed is the way that we tell you to do it. And, and so go dunk yourself. And he goes and he dunks himself in the Jordan. And what happens? He, he's, he's healed. He had to step on, on faith that, that God could heal him. This is what Jesus is calling these men to, to move out in, in faith. If you want everything to be perfectly clear, 
Before we step out in faith, that's not faith at all. Faith is trusting that God can make a difference even when we don't see how he's going to make a difference. Faith is trusting that God can do something even when we don't understand how he's going to do it. It's believing against chaos sometimes. It's believing in the middle of our our circumstances. Ten men believed and ten men were healed. But here's where the story takes a dive. And I believe we get to see where this epidemic of discourtesy begins to meet its, its cure. Go ahead. Here's the last thing that I want you to write down. Gratitude will guard my heart. Gratitude will guard my heart. Do you notice that in, in the story that only one person comes back? Ten get healed, but only one person comes back. And the person who comes back, it's a Samaritan. Jesus calls him a, a foreigner, the one that you wouldn't have expected to come back in the story, the one who puts a distaste in all the Jews' mouth. Why would you even talk about a Samaritan? Why would you even bring him up? It's the Samaritan who comes back and he praises God with a loud voice. He doesn't care about who's around him, who's listening, and he falls down on his face in front of Jesus, and Scripture says he gives thanks. He has a heart of gratitude here. Isn't this interesting? The, one that you would, the, the ones that you would have expected to come would have been the nine Jewish guys, not the one Samaritan. The ones who were reading this story would have expected it would have been the nine Jewish guys to come back, not, not this Samaritan, the one who they have a distaste for. And I think what we're seeing is who's going to be the one who says thanks? Is it going to be the nine or is it going to be the one S- Samaritan? It, it, it's interesting. Who's going to be the one who's going to say thanks? See, Jesus, he completely upends this guy's life. He's taken him where he was dying, the slow, painful death, separated from his family, separated from the society, not even allowed to go and worship together with the community. And now he's allowed to go home. If he's got a baby sitting at home, he's allowed to scoop up that baby and hug on and kiss on that baby. If he's got a wife, he's able to go back home and and kiss on his wife. Can you imagine the joy and excitement that would have been flowing through this man? But why did he come back and nobody else? Why did only one come back? If, if I'm just being the way that I understand it, I think it's just simply because of expectations. I think it's because of expectations. These nine men expected to be healed. They expected, these are, these are nine Jewish men who have most likely grown up understanding the Torah, most likely understood the scriptures, most likely the good church folks who have been doing the whole church thing all their life until they got sick, and then they're separated from everybody so they can't go to church. And so when Jesus shows up, supposed to be a miracle worker, supposed to be the Messiah, they expect, you are supposed to heal us. You should heal us. You should do what's right. And so they expected Jesus to do that. And when you expect something from somebody else, you rarely ever say thank you. When it's an expectation, and not being demonstrated as an act of grace, you very rarely ever say thank you. But if you don't believe, you deserve to be saved. And yet God chooses to do it anyway, there's a deep gratitude that begins to set in. See, there's a a tendency um, to let expectations crowd out gratitude in our society. There's a tendency to let the expectations that we have of people around us and servicemen and women Um, of uh, the people within our homes and within our families, the people that we work with, that you are supposed to serve me. I have an expectation, and when we have that expectation, gratitude is set aside. The willingness and the freedom to say thank you, or even the ability anymore 
to say thank you kind of gets set aside. And certainly, when we begin to expect that God is going to do stuff for us, the ability to even have gratitude that God is doing something in our lives and there's something good around us, that gets pushed aside too. And so I want to ask you, how, how often are you saying thank you right now? How often do you allow yourself to have a heart of, of gratitude? How, how often have you thought to yourself, that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. That's my wife. That's what she's supposed to do. That's my husband. That's what he's supposed to do. Those are my kids. That's what they're supposed to do. Or that's just a group of kids. That's what they're supposed to do. That's my friend. That's what he or she's supposed to do. That's my neighbor. That's what they're supposed to do. That, that's my whatever. That's what they're supposed to do. How often do we have this sense of expectation as opposed to, man, I'm just going to say thanks. I'm not expecting anything. I'm just going to say thanks if, if, if it happens. There's even an expectation that we have of Jesus. We've been going to church for so long and probably sacrificed a few things. I've probably stopped doing a few things so that I could, you know, be the good church guy. I've probably put some money in the offering plate or um, I've I've probably made some significant sacrifices in my life. And and then we start to think, well, because I've done this, Jesus should do this. Because of what I've done and what I've given up and who I am, God should heal this. God should show up in this. And when we begin to should Jesus, gratitude begins to go out the window. We stop saying thank you for what he does do. We stop missing the moments of grace that he's put into our our lives. And so it could be that these nine men just expected that this is what Jesus is supposed to do. And so if that's what he's supposed to do, there's nothing to say thank you for. But the story, it's pointing us to not be the ungrateful sod that just stops saying thank you, that never says thank you, but to be the one who turns back. It's pointing us to not be the one of the nine who refuses to recognize that God's doing anything in our lives, but to be the one who sees that God is at work and he's working in our chaos to say thank you. And, and the one who looks back and says thank you is the one that we see in the scripture who gets to hear Jesus say, your faith has made you well. Well, well he's already healed. Jesus already healed him as he's on his way to the priest. So what's he talking about? He's not necessarily talking about his physical body. Maybe he's talking about the the healing that you've already received, your faith then made you well. Or he might even be saying, listen, the heaviness of the chaos that you've been feeling, your heart's able to not be borne up underneath of that anymore. You can understand that that I'm doing something with that. And that's what gratitude does. That's what stopping to say thank you does. Being one of the nine versus being the one. This is what gratitude does. Gratitude guards our hearts from unrealistic expectations. Gratitude, it guards our hearts from being rude and unkind. Gratitude, it guards our hearts from discouragement. It guards our heart from discourtesy. Gratitude lets us focus on Jesus rather than our circumstances. It doesn't mean that our problems aren't real and that our chaos isn't real and that it doesn't hurt and that uh, the things that we're going through aren't important. It doesn't mean that things aren't hard and stressful. It just reminds us that God is bigger than that stuff. How, how often are you saying thank you? Man, I, I try to be a, a person who just says thank you to people. Um, I don't always, but like when, when we're at restaurants, man, I, I try to say thank you as much as I can 
Because one, like I don't want people to spit in my food. And I'm, like I'm a stickler about people not spitting in my food. I don't know if you guys are or not, but I don't like it very much. Um, so I don't want people to spit in it, but I also want people to know that I'm grateful that I don't have to do the dishes. I don't have to cook anything. Well, let's be honest, I don't really cook anything at all anyway. Like Ashley does all that. Well, she's going to be here in the second service. She's going to be like, you don't do that stuff. Like, I do that. So to be honest, I'm thankful because she doesn't have to cook that night or that she's not doing the dishes. We don't have to clear our own table. Like somebody else is doing that for us. So I just want them to, to know like, hey, thank you for that. But I don't always. Um, I remember we were at uh, Texas Roadhouse uh, one, one evening. I, I was like for something special, maybe Father's Day or something. And the place was packed, right? And, uh, and so the server comes to our table. She, she takes our order. And uh, man, I love Texas Roadhouse, okay? So I, I order big when we go there. And so I'm, I'm hungry and, and, I, and I put her on our order. And we got a big table. And, and so the, she takes it. And man, guys, it took forever for her to even come to our table to get her order. So I'm already kind of a little on edge, right? And, and, and then... Um, uh, she goes away, and it's like, I'm talking like, I don't know if I was just hungry real bad or, or if, like, it really took forever, but I feel like, man, it was like the next day is when the, I think she came back. So she comes back, and she's like, I'm sorry. You know, it's taken so long. I'm like, okay, I'll be gracious. And uh, then a little while later, she comes back, and she says, I'm sorry it's taken so long. I'm like, oh, me too. And I didn't say that. I was feeling it. And, and then a little bit later, a manager comes back to the table and says, I am so sorry it's taking so long. And I'm like, oh, man, I, like, I try to be good, right? I try to be good. Um, but I, I'm, I was real upset at this point. And so finally, the, the server comes, and she brings the, the food to the table. And guys, I don't say this um, out of pride by any stretch. When, when she brought the food, I said, oh, about time. I was like, oh. Like, I didn't mean, like, it just came out. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And she looked at me. She's like, are you kidding me? Do you not see the hundreds of people that are in this place right now? You are not the only one. You didn't cook it. You didn't bring it out here. You're not going to clean it up. Are you kidding me right now? And I felt it, man. Like, I, she just looked at me like I, she didn't have to say a word. Like, I felt every single bit of it. And then she walks away, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And Ashley looked at me like, like I had my own shame, and then she looked at me. And, and gave me that too. I'm like, I, I know, right? But then I, I could hear, you know, they have the little computer where the, the, the servers kind of gather up and, you know, they're doing the tickets and whatnot, and I, they're standing there. And, uh, and, and, I hear, and I hear her say, um, uh, oh, about time. And I knew she was talking about me. Like she was sharing with, with her, serv- her server people, like that dude over there, he's a jerk. He better tip me well. <laughs> and I felt it. I, I wasn't one of the nine. I mean, I wasn't the one. I was one of the nine in that moment. I wasn't grateful. I wasn't thankful for the things that were like, she was serving me. The people around were, were serving me. I, I was one of the stinking nine at that moment. And here, here, here's the deal. Being grateful, it's not just a one-time deal. It's to be a lifestyle uh, for us. A lifestyle of intentional and spontaneous appreciation that leads us into this place of gratitude and leads us out of this epidemic of discourtesy. In other words, an attitude of, of gratitude, it keeps us from being a jerk around people. And it helps us to focus in on the power and the authority of God and the things that he is doing in our life and where he's working in the middle of uh, the chaos. So this month, you know, it's nice. It's nice season. And, and so uh, what, what are some different ways that you can apply this I would say look for ways to say thank you. Like be overly gracious with people. 
I mean, it's bad around us. Look for ways to say thank you. If there's a window of where the cooks are cooking at a restaurant that you're in and you can see them back there, just reach your head back there. Thank you for cooking the meal for me tonight. Look at your server. Say thank you. Look at your kids who have chores that you're doing, that they're doing for you, right? And, and, and they're taking out the trash. And don't look at them like, well, they're supposed to do that. Tell them thanks. Tell them thanks for doing that because you didn't have to. When you look at your life and, and, and you stop focusing on your, your little chaotic peace, and, and you look around, and, and you can begin to see that Jesus, is, he's at work. And when you do that, take a minute to stop and say, to say thank you. Um, we're going to sing a song um, here that, that's about gratitude. And this is, this is not a stand-up and, you know, get crazy kind of a song. This is the moment for you to think, what are some ways this week, this month, where I can just begin to say, and, and here I want to say thanks. In this area, I want to say thank you, Lord, for what you've been doing. In this way, I want to say thank you to the people around me. And I don't want to be this ungrateful sod right? Let's pray. God, thanks so much uh, for your life. Thank you for um, the sacrifice, Jesus, that you went to on the cross. We are incredibly grateful for that. Grateful that you set your eyes to Jerusalem. Grateful that you set your eyes to the cross. Grateful that you work in our chaos. Grateful that you've put the people around us um, to challenge us, to encourage us and to press us in um, to prayer at times. Not everybody's easy to be around, um, but you use the people around us. Father, in all things, um, we want to be grateful. In all things, we want to say thanks. Um, We want to give thanks with a grateful heart. Um, And so help us. We can't do that on our own. We need your spirit to see where you're at work. Um, We need your um, spirit to remind us that you're in our chaos. Um, And we need your spirit to be able to say that it's not going to always be like this. It can get better. It could change. And you're in the midst with us. Help us be the one. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.